<laughs> but the same the side note, same root Hebrew word underlies yes. a multi, in multiple languages, and the name Barak here means blessed. It's the same root as like in the blessed are you, O Lord our God, Baruch Atah Adonai Melech Eloheinu. So yeah, that name means blessed. Side note. <laughs> side note, Hebrew scholar. Um, so Deborah convinces Barak to to draw this army that is coming in to invade Israel to come to this particular area in which then Israel will attack them and, and kill them off. And so that happens. And in the process, um, the Israelites um, end up killing everybody except for Sisera, the commander, who runs off into a tent and hides because, you know, that's the manly thing to do. Right. Uh, chicken hearts all, all around, right? <laughs> chicken hearts all around. He goes into this tent, he hides, and he runs into this woman named Jael. And he says, you know, if anybody comes looking for me, just tell them that nobody's here. Like, nobody, you know, he asks for some water. She gives him some milk. He falls asleep. And, well, you want to you handle the violence that really... <laughs> sure. Well, I'll, I'll just say it, but a, a reminder, I'm not making this up. No. Check it out for yourself in case you didn't know this. So, this uh, is in Judges 4. Judges chapter 4. Mm -hmm. JL, Yale goes and uh, after he falls asleep because he's been lulled to sleep by this warm milk, possibly cookies as well, <laughs> Uh, and is hiding out like this chicken-hearted enemy guy is hiding in her tent. And and again, that this has to be a disturbing moment for her because here's the enemy who's like basically you know invaded her house and said, "Don't tell anybody I'm here." Uh, so when he falls asleep, she takes the tent peg from the tent that he is in, takes a hammer and pounds the tent peg through his head and kills mm -hmm. him. Um, so there it is. She, she she is is the hero of the day in the sense she saves the day, but it's an an act of like un un uh, polished unvarnished violence. She just she just up and kills him. Um, but she gets remembered then as a hero, uh, not just because boy she did this violent thing, but because she has this courage that nobody else around seems to have. Mm -hmm. uh, and Deborah too, and and uh, they both sort of mo uh, model this kind of. Well, the the lot has fallen to us. We're the ones who are raised up for this moment. We'll do it. Sure, it's not that it gets easy or fun, but fine. We'll do the thing we have to do. And then, because this sometimes happens in the Bible, it becomes a musical. And in chapter five of uh, Judges, Deborah breaks out in a song. In fact, they both sang. It's a duet. In the beginning of chapter five, it says, "Then Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying." And they start breaking the song about how God has delivered them and how each of them has had a role in this. And there's even a rather lengthy and surprisingly graphic verse in the song about JL who is a hero because uh, even though she's uh, she's blessed of all the tent dwelling women she used those tent dwelling skills and she <laughs> drove that tent peg through Sisera's head um, she even breaks into song about uh, how sad Sisera's mother is going to be about all mm -hmm. this is happening like this is a weird we're not used to songs especially we're not used to finding them in the Bible that are graphic and sort of mocking in their tone but yeah this is part of the Bible um, so this is one of those places where uh Heroes of the Bible as a subject overlaps with weird, violent songs in the Bible, but here it is. Um, all right, so there's the short version of the of the mm -hmm. plot. Um, are there things, Sarah, that you think jump out about Deborah that like are that that we should know or that that emerge from the text that we might not automatically think of when we? Think yeah. Of her? So when Deborah is introduced in Judges chapter four, verse four, she is introduced like this. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. And when you look at the Hebrew text, the word for wife of, which is... Isha in Hebrew. Right. Also can be translated as woman of. And Lapidoth is never mentioned ever again. And I have heard from other 
like remembering my time in seminary, that this could just as likely be that she is a woman of Lapidoth, which is a town. So, and again, so, so I'm hearing you right, that the Hebrew text, this isn't a matter of like ticking one translation or having to, right. the Hebrew text is just as likely to be translated either. It's ambiguous. Yeah, Deborah, prophetess, either wife of a guy named Lapidoth or a woman of a town called Lapidoth yes, is, is the idea. Because mm-hmm. the the Hebrew, the, the word Isha, like going all the way back to the Genesis 2 story where God's making human beings, and it says, there's the I, I'll call her woman Isha because I took her out of man, Ish. That, that There's this relation in Hebrew between the words for man, male, and female, man and woman, Ish and Isha. And so this word comes to mean it can be used for wife, but it, it most literally originally means woman of. So in a way similar to like, you know, pop songs on it be like, she's my girl she's my woman he's my man kind of thing right. the word doesn't literally husband or wife but it has that feel the word could be here either way translated she's a woman from a place called lapidoth or she's the wife of a man named lapidoth and either way the guy lapidoth or the town lapidoth never appear in the story mm-hmm. again yeah it's just kind of one of those ways to mark that it's this Deborah, yeah not that other debbie down the street who makes cakes <laughs> right so this is not cake debbie this is military general debbie Correct. <laughs> right. Yes. right or uh, this is palm tree debbie because it turns out deborah yeah. is known for it the, the next couple of verses even before she's raised up for this military role she is apparently known as a leader like a civic leader this might be as close as we get to a judge like we think of judges sort of maintaining justice or mm-hmm. or leading a community and she's judging or the place people would go with their controversies for her to just settle disputes is out of, you know, the Palm of Deborah is what it says. The Palm of Deborah between Rama and Bethel in the, in the hill country, as though this is a place everybody back in those days knew. If you had a dispute that needed to be settled, you'd take it to the Palm of Deborah and Deborah would listen to your, and, and sort of come up with a resolution. Which makes sense because she is named as a prophet. Right, and right. that's what prophets do is they help you... With stuff like yeah, that. and and especially because in this moment in the story of the people of Israel, um, where you don't have sort of a rigid formalized structure with kings and other uh, official government roles, where later on you could say that there's well, there's a whole government structure for who does what, but here things are much more sort of community led. We have a need, we pick some wise person in the community, they help settle things for us, and Deborah is the person who would do that, and so her role is, you know, she's like a, a, a civil judge in that regard, she's like a prophet, and then also it makes sense. That that when the community's in crisis, they turn to Deborah for the military leadership as well. And she doesn't like go it alone as she as the, the need emerges. She also seeks out uh she she wants this guy named Barack to be a part of this. Here you go, here you go, and I'll go here and we'll head him off at the pass. And Barack is a chicken. He's he's like, Well, I, I'm afraid I need you to go with me. And his his line coming up a little bit later on in the in the passage, she's given in this direction. She says, I'll draw out Sisera and you sort of cut him off, you go around the other hand, and I'll deliver him into your hand, and we'll sort of you know do that sort of a uh, we'll outflank him. And Barack says, If you'll go with me, I'll go, but if you will not go with me, I won't go. I mean, like it's 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 this hilarious moment where the guy who's supposed to be the brave leader like he's the chicken taking direction then deborah's like all right fine and deborah's response is hilarious deborah's like fine i'll go with you i'll hold your hand fine (laughs) but you understand now when we end up winning i'm gonna be the one who catches the winning touchdown here because i'm gonna be the one who uh you know i was about to give you glory you'd be the one who wins in the end fine i'll do it um and then they go and save the day and they route cicera's army and all that kind of business but so like she's she She's clearly already a leader. She's also clearly somebody who knows how to 
uh, use the people with other gifts and abilities around her too. That this isn't the story, and none of these stories, uh, women or men in the Bible, at, at their best, they're not like superhero, like I'll do it all myself, but more like they know where they need additional help or assistance. And it tends to be when you get people with that, I'll do it all myself, that tends to be a sign they're sliding toward arrogance and they, they've mm-hmm. lost that they need God or God's people with them. Um, but so, so uh, Deborah uh, is, is, is a leader already, and then she's sort of thrust into this role of we need someone who can help propel these enemy bad guys as well. Um, then that leads to uh, the, 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 the story like you had unfolded about this, this woman named J.L. or Yael, um, and, and her, like, I, I, don't know, I don't know what else to say except that she's, she's quick thinking in this moment, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's all that she's remembered for in that sense, and like that here's the moment, someone needs to stop this bad guy, and she does, rather than being petrified with fear or please will somebody else help me she doesn't do a barack move she doesn't do like oh i'm afraid to do this deborah would you come like no but she she does it and the story sort of tells it like this is a bad guy this is the enemy he's if he if he escapes he's going to do this all over again he needs to be stopped there's no option of jail or timeout or something like that so he the the from the perspective of the story cicero is a villain just like goliath in a sense later on or uh yeah later on when it's when it's david against goliath there's this he's the enemy he needs to be stopped so that the, the people can be saved and She's sort of quick thinking in that regard, giving him milk to lull him to sleep. <laughs> Which is, because she, this isn't the only story of a woman driving a tent peg right. <laughs> the head of her enemy, um, but she does it with milk. Right. So <laughs> she she does it with him, milk. She lulls him to sleep with milk, whereas the other woman, whose name I forgot, um, she gets him so drunk that his last words are something like, this is the most drunk I've ever been. And then he falls to sleep never to wake up. Right. Because a tent peg goes through his head. Turns out to be a more popular weapon than it is anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the frying pan in Disney movies. Right, right, yeah. It's 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 Rapunzel's frying pan, sort of. Yeah. Um but yeah, it 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 seems uh, significant here that like as these women's stories are remembered, um, there is this sense of when the moment called for someone to step up and act, they did it. And what they remember it for, I mean, this is not cake baking Debbie <laughs> in, in either case. And that the, the text doesn't seem to blush at that in ways that like later religious voices seems to be like, oh, no, 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 the, this can't be what they're heroes for. They must also be have lovely penmanship or they must be, you know, mm-hmm. very polite. And I, I, over, over enough years, I've heard plenty of religious theme messages, you know, where like, well, we got to talk about Deborah. Well, let's make her sound like she's a great homemaker, too. And like, well, she may or may not have been. That's not what she's remembered for. She's a leader. She's a civil leader right off the bat. Mm-hmm. She's sort of remembered as a leader of God's people and that and at least in the sense of being a prophetess, there's some sense of being a faith leader as well, that we don't get any sermons or oracles of Deborah, Deborah, we get this song of hers. But she also, because the song that she sings in Judges 5 um, does sort of speak on behalf of God, um, there is this sense of that she speaks God's word mm-hmm. for the people as well. Um, that at least as the, the writers of the Hebrew scriptures hand this story to us, they don't come with any asterisks of, well, all right, she's allowed to be a civil leader, but she's not allowed to tell anybody about God. She's not allowed to preach. Or, oh, she's allowed to do these things, but she's not allowed to be, like, mm-hmm. there's no area of 
human society that she isn't involved in. She's got military leadership and the text doesn't blush about that. She's already a civil leader that people bring their disputes to. The text doesn't blush about that either. And she breaks in a song and speaks on behalf of God there, invoking God's name and sort of does what a prophet does. That is, reads the situation and says, what does God have to do with this? Yeah, that's what the prophets did. Mm -hmm. So she does it. And the word prophet is used to describe her. Um, and there's something I think important too, that um, unless you're talking about those handful of, of cases in the Bible where there are people who are known as false prophets, you know, people who would sort of, you know, be representing other gods or sort of self-appoint, that the word prophet itself, that the Hebrew carries the sense of being called, nevi'im, it means called ones, that to be to be a prophet isn't just, well, I, I decided myself, I decided to go back to school and become a prophet, but more like this is something that God calls you to, that God's imprimatur, so to speak, is on her, that God has authorized her to be in this role, not like she just took it on for herself. That, again, the, the text hands this to us as God thinks it's okay. God has raised her up for each of these roles, um, and the text isn't afraid of that or ashamed of that, even though later on uh, enough centuries have made that some sort of an issue sometimes. Yeah, as we've been going through the series, Steve, and rereading about these women that I, I have read about before and I have looked up to, and it just makes me wonder, and, it, and it's, it, it hurts me that for so many centuries, as you just said, the church has kind of put women in a lower place mm -hmm. you know and even the culture of the day put women in, in a lower position than what is often um we read about in scripture but yet in the case of deborah and jl in the case of esther and ruth and the midwives and Miriam, like god does not you know well yeah she she did this on the side mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is what these women were about right and, right, and right. As, as a female pastor and i'm sure i hope i'm not speaking for you sarah but hopefully we're in agreement this is very encouraging to oh, hear yeah. scripture talk about women who are strong and who are willing to stand up to injustices, even though, unfortunately, both of our our branches, you know, years ago didn't used to think that we were worthy of being ordained. And th there might have to be a point where we have to have conversation about, okay, where where did that whole notion arise? That almost might need to be its whole other own, own series about mm -hmm. where it is, uh, how does, especially New Testament perspectives on leadership. Yeah. And there's a case to be made about that there's, there's very strong evidence of women's leadership in the early church as well. Mm -hmm. That will, will, that'll be another episode. Um, but um, that at least here, there's there's no apology, there's no blushing, there's no hedging, and that there's no sense of like, no, this is just how it is. There was Deborah, and it's just like it was Gideon, and then it was Samson, and nope, Deborah in this moment is the one who's raised up. And I, I guess it seems to me, too, actually spending the time in the text, um, I can remember having heard... Um, people sort of uh, use Deborah's story as like a counterexample. Well, like, I guess in a pinch, God can use women, but God doesn't really want to. And that, like that exchange that she has with uh, Barack is like, well, look, they're going to let a woman lead. Oh, I can't believe you're such a chicken, Barack. You're letting me, a woman, do that. And I, like, that's not really how the text no. reads. Um, that, 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 that's certainly an instance, as you actually spend time with the text, of importing your own, no, well, women are not allowed to be mm -hmm. leaders. So this must be, uh, you know, this is more to shame Barack than to lift up Deborah. No. She's already a leader. She's already, before she does anything to lead the people, is identified as a prophetess and a judge who's already leading people and settling their disputes. She's already identified as that and then takes on this particular military role that it's not like, well, there's no able-bodied men around. I guess we'll have to settle for a woman. That's not how the text tells the story. Um, and so as much as... Um, 
I, I know folks who get all fussy about women's leadership sometimes like to assume they have a big stack of Bible verses on their side. I think in th in this case, certainly, that's a you're bringing your own baggage to the text. Mm -hmm. The text itself. Uh, doesn't doesn't blush or get upset about uh, Deborah already as a leader to begin with, and then she takes on this particular role because that's what the crisis requires. Yeah, <laughs> this is this. I know this is like a a, a total uh, sidetrack or a tangent here, but like um uh, in the it, <laughs> yeah in the movie The Godfather, you know there's there's this this bit where um um. Uh, uh, Tom Hagen's character, uh, Tom Hagen is the name of the character. Uh, he's played by Robert Duvall, and he's the, the conciliary for The Godfather, and when things are at peace, they let him be the advisor, and then there's this part where the gangs are going to go to war, and they say, Tom, you're out. You're not a wartime conciliary, and it's sort of, you don't have the ability to lead us through a time of crisis. You can only handle things when things are nice and peaceful. And, like, that's not Deborah's story. It's not like, oh, yeah. well, when everything's fine, we can let Debbie be in charge, but, you know, when... when... it's peaceful, so we can let a woman be yeah, in charge, yeah. because they're, they're peaceful, and they can right, those Right, 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 right. That's not how the story goes no. either it's like no she's already leading the people and what you do when you lead your people is whatever the trouble is whatever the challenge is you rise face to face it. that yeah with i mean with them and alongside them and she puts herself in considerable danger and in harm's way as a leader like to me this is another moment just to, to step out not just talking about deborah uh, in her role as a woman, but like th this is what genuine good leadership looks like, and that I'm not sure we're always good at lifting that up because we are used to anymore. Sort of, well, the leaders are the ones who are protected from the difficult stuff. You know, we give them a million extra bodyguards, and well, you don't have to do the tough stuff. And here's at least an era in history where that wasn't even an option. There is no yeah. luxury of oh, well, the important people we'll hide them back behind the walls. No, to be a leader is you put yourself in the path of where the danger is, and you're the one sort of leading the charge going into where the danger is. She's not a general who's hanging back and giving orders from from the protected you know from the safe zone right she's a general who's out in the middle of this battle right right leading her people and saying you know what i'm willing to die with you if right. that's what it takes right and in particular she's willing to put herself in the her original plan to, to barack puts her in like the especially dangerous difficult like okay i'll be the one who bears the brunt of this uh assault I'm gonna by myself yeah 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 and she's willing she's the one who's willing to uh, you know to split you go over there i'll go over here i'll take the the brunt of the battle and you get to do cleanup rock and you get to save the day <laughs> and when he whines like i'm afraid then okay fine we'll do this together but and maybe maybe by necessity that's how it had to be and for most of human history in times of battle or warfare like that's that's what that's what it, mm -hmm. it looked like but because in our era we are used to you know, the generals stay back in central command or wherever, and maybe increasingly where we picture battle is, you know, somebody controlling a robot drone who goes and blows up something yeah. else. There's something powerful in a story like this that genuine leadership um, doesn't say, oh, I don't want to do the difficult stuff. I'll do the planning and hang back here. You guys do the hard stuff. But the genuine leadership, especially as Israel remembered it, is always servant leadership in the sense of being willing to go out and put your money where your mouth mm -hmm. is and to go and put yourself in harm's way alongside and with your people and sometimes for your people. Um, and that in that sense, that's an important piece to get about what Jesus is all about, too, that Jesus kind of leadership is never, uh, here, Peter and Andrew and James and John, you guys do the hard stuff and I'm going to sit back up here in heaven. Mm -hmm. But there's always Jesus, and Jesus gets that about himself and says, in fact, in one particular conversation, and um, it shows up at least in Mark, probably in Matthew and Luke too, um, where he says, you know, you know that among the other nations, their leaders are tyrants over them and their kings, you know, lorded over them, but it's not so among us. I've come to be this one, not to be served, but to serve. And that that's the way 
leadership for the people of God, especially for people who name the name of Jesus and tell stories like Deborah's story, should get what leadership looks like. Not, I'm going to sit back and do the comfortable thing and talk about how great I am. You guys do the hard stuff, but that great leaders, really great leaders, are there going through the trenches with their their people in the battle with them, so to speak. Uh, I would like to talk about Deborah's empathy for a minute. Oh, okay. I think that's also a great ah, trait of a leader. Yeah, okay, okay. But um, it's something that I think is difficult as leaders, especially military leaders, mm-hmm. to be able to look across the battlefield and see humanity in mm. your opponents. But I think Deborah does. Oh, okay. Especially at the end of her song oh. when she is singing about the mother of Sisera. Yeah. Because, you know, when... Somebody dies, and we in, in the media is trying to gain sympathy. They usually point out the mothers, the fathers, the sisters, the brothers, or the wives, or the husbands, the children. Yeah. And here, it I'm going to now assume that Cicero was a very young man, because when she looked across the battlefield and saw this opposing general, she did not wonder about his wife mm. or his daughters yeah. and sons. Mm-hmm. She wondered. Ah, the mother of Sisera will gaze out her window and wonder why is this chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariot? You know, she is imagining that because this was such a defeat, the mother of Sisera is not going to find out what happened to her son. Yeah. And that yeah. is going to be a moment mm-hmm. of grief. Yeah. And not for her people, because her people will rejoice that the. Cicero's men will not be dividing the spoil amongst themselves, you know, girl, girl or two for every man, you know, the coins, the dyed stuff, etc. But that there will be a woman somewhere wondering, where is my son? Yeah, and I think that's a really important uh, point, just because it, it, it doesn't let us treat the violence in the story like that it's... Um, one-sided, like, well, God clearly thinks his violence is okay. Like, okay, this is what, what had to happen to save the, the people of Israel in this moment. But there's there's a refusal to dehumanize even the enemy. That there's yeah. a, there's there there was mm-hmm. violence in it, and there was no other way around it in this moment. But there had to be this battle, and we had to do this. Um, but there's this sense of the enemy has faces too, um, mm-hmm. and that's something we're not good at, especially in this era that we live in of robot drones, where I don't even have to think about there's a person over there. It's just I send this robot fighter plane, and we're not losing any lives, so it doesn't bother us that there's lots of people getting killed. It's mm-hmm. easy in an era like ours, and we might marvel how cool it is that technology allows us to save our lives but to know that there's a human cost and for most of human history you couldn't turn your face away from that cost and i think i don't want to get outside of my my field or my depth but i think at least for most of human history where that's been the issue that's made uh the choice to go into war that much more uh sober choice of we only do this when you have to when there's no other possibility or when they're you know it the Poland got conquered by the Nazis. We have to liberate. I mean, we're talking about moments where this is not something casually that we do for fun or sport or to, you know, restore our glory or something Mm -hmm. like that. No, there's human faces to this. Um, And people who have been in those moments of actually seeing the human cost, whether they've incurred it themselves by suffering uh, or or being uh, injured or have seen the damage inflicted on others, have a way of appreciating and understanding the severity of violence like this in a way that most people don't. There's, I think, I think it's a line of uh, Dwight Eisenhower's who says something like, you know, here's this guy who was the, you know, the, the commander, the Allied commander in World War II, and then the president says something like, "I hate war as only someone who served in war can really hate it." And there's, there's an important insight yeah. of, 
that he he and it, by no means was he remembered as you know a a, 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 a hippie or a peacenik or something. But he had the sense of war isn't something you're supposed to dabble around with when it's not serious yeah. business, and that there's always a human cost, not just on your own side, but on the enemy side as well. And the ability to see even your enemy as someone with a face. Boy, that puts a whole different spin on it. We don't get to do things like, well, we're on God's side. God only cares about the casualties on our side. No, God cares about the people on the other side of this as well. And that's always going to be messier than just, well, it doesn't matter. They're the bad guys, so who cares? But this, the song won't let us do that. And I think it's not just a, a war thing, but I think about social media right now. Yeah. And yeah. how much like how much there's just fighting and everything going on in social about all different types of things. And we won't sure. get into anything in particular, but we kind of lose the fact that while we're friends with people on Facebook or we follow people on Twitter, whatever it is, because it's over social media, we forget that there's actually a person behind that profile. Yeah. There's a person behind that, that Twitter feed. When they aren't bots, but yeah. <laughs> when they aren't bots. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah. most of the people I follow and I'm friends with, you know. Are humans. <laughs> are, are people. Yeah. They're not bots. And sometimes we take that and yeah. we forget about that even in the social media realm. And the facelessness of that kind of medium that you're just, you know, posting things up and you don't think about that there are other people on the other mm -hmm. side of this. That, it has a way of letting people be awfully rude and cruel without thinking about there are other human beings here and it's possible to disagree about something and not to hate the other person or to disagree isn't the same as I hate your guts and similarly mm -hmm. to say that the call to love other people doesn't mean you have to agree with what they think here but there's that there's there's the danger of facelessness that yeah taking Deborah's song seriously even though I know that the, the, the thrust of the song isn't aimed at this it's a hooray we won God delivered us yeah. but there's something inescapable about you have to be able to see that even your enemies have faces as well and that there's a cost to that. So believe what you believe and fight for what you fight for, but also do it in a way that you can look the other people in the eye kind of a thing. And man, I like I was not expecting this conversation to go in this direction, but yeah. that's one of the things I like about uh, doing this is that um, there are times where the text jumps out and says something and it takes somebody else's perspective mm -hmm. to go like, yeah, did you ever notice this? Um, that, that uh, yeah, well, this will be staying with me for a lot longer than I was expecting to learn something <laughs> from the song of Deborah before. Mm -hmm. um, um, and this, this might mean that there's more immediate take-home lessons to learn for me from the story of jail and the tent peg than getting somebody to fall asleep with a cup of milk. <laughs> so thanks for pointing that out, Sarah, because I don't, I, I probably have read through this, you know, how many times and just kind of skipped over that part or not skipped over, but read it, but it just hit yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, way, the way you brought it forward, so. Yeah. Well, um, we hope you've uh, been following along and found something of value in the midst of this conversation, uplifting stories of two other important women uh, from the story of the Book of Judges. Uh, our time for today has also come to an end, but thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.